After hundreds of interviews and thousands of hours of research, we're excited to share with you our first book, The Greater Good, Life Lessons from Hawaii's Leaders, with a special forward from Mayor Mufi Hanneman. The Greater Good is a collection of personal stories and quotes from over 70 of the leaders we've interviewed. The Greater Good will make you laugh, make you cry, and will inspire you to live a greater good life. Available at bookstores statewide and at greatergoodbooks.com. Welcome to Greater Good Radio Hawaii, where leaders inspire leaders. Greater Good Radio Hawaii is dedicated to social entrepreneurship. I'm your host, Evan Leong, and with me is my co-host, Carrie Leong. Mahalo, Evan. Today's guest is Colbert Matsumoto, Chairman and CEO of Island Insurance Company Limited. Colbert serves as a director of Central Pacific Bank, Aloha Airlines, Star Bulletin, and Midweek, and numerous others. Please welcome to Greater Good Radio, Colbert Matsumoto. Welcome to our show, Colbert. Hi, Terry. So, Colbert, could you tell me exactly what you do for your job with Island Insurance? Uh, well, I'm the chairman and CEO of the company. And so in my role as uh, chairman and CEO, I basically oversee the business. Uh, uh, our company has been in business for uh, almost 70 years uh, in Hawaii now. And uh, uh, my job is to make sure that the company is operating properly and is uh, meeting our shareholders' expectations. So when you say operating properly, what is your day, your average daily like, your activities and things that you do? Well, most of my day is spent uh, in meetings. So I, I spend a lot of time meeting with uh, different managers uh, as well as uh, people that we do business with. And so, um, you know, I you typically have a, a breakfast meeting and, uh, you know, uh, there'll be a whole series of meetings that follow that. And in addition to that, uh, you know, I'm on the phone a lot, too. So basically, uh, you know, my life is spent uh, communicating with people. So how do you get um, rid of getting bogged down by all, just meeting and meeting and meeting? Well, I like to uh, try to uh, reserve some time so that I can actually uh, collect my thoughts and uh, uh, kind of think during the day. And so, you know, I'll, I'll block off some, uh, some time during the course of the day so that I can try to get some other work done, like, you know, reading my mail and... Uh, uh, sending out some emails and doing some other things. But uh, yeah, I, I find my time mostly spent talking to people. And do you find it difficult to organize in your mind like what you're talking about and different meetings? Because, you know, when Evan and I go into different meetings on a daily basis, it's exhausting. It's hard to keep organizing your mind what the meeting's about and what your focus is and who you're talking to and you know, so how how was it for you? Because you're also involved with so many nonprofits as well. I guess I've been uh, pretty fortunate in that uh, I've been able to compartmentalize, uh, you know, my different activities pretty well. And so uh, as a consequence, uh, you know, I usually prepare before I go into any meeting. Uh, but I'm able to, you know, collect my thoughts and keep my focus as to, you know, what it is that I'm in the meeting for and what my objectives in terms of accomplishing something during the course of that meeting. So can you tell us about how you were born and raised in Lanai and ended up over here and started as an attorney and now run an insurance company? Well, um, that's a story that starts with my grandparents because my grandparents uh, were immigrants from Japan and they were the first ones to settle in Lanai. 
uh, back in the early 20s. And my parents uh, were, uh, they weren't born on Lanai. Uh, they uh, moved to uh, Lanai from uh, other islands with uh, my grandparents, uh, and but they grew up on Lanai. And so I'm basically third generation, and uh, I was born uh, on the island. And uh, my family, both my parents both worked for the pineapple company, and I worked for the pineapple company for that matter when I was uh, growing up as a kid uh, until I went to college. And you have no pigeon accent, though. Oh, it can come out, you know, if I like. Uh. <laughs> okay. I just want to, I'm just checking. I got to make sure, you know. So when you were growing up, did you have these big aspirations about what you wanted to do, be an attorney, you know, be a CEO? Did you have those goals? Actually, uh, you know, I mean, being a CEO of a company was the furthest thing from my mind. I, I had, uh, I didn't even think it was uh, something that was possible because, uh, you know, I grew up on the plantation where, you know, we had a part of the plantation that was called Howley Camp. Uh, it was also known as Snob Hill because that was where all the plantation bosses lived. And uh, uh, it was considered a very exclusive area. And, uh, you know, typically the people that lived in the uh, laborers' camp, uh, you know, I mean, didn't move up to the uh, to Howley Camp. And so uh, it was certainly something that I didn't expect to do and didn't aspire to do when I was growing up alone. I, um, I did, however, uh, go to college with the intention of becoming a teacher. And so that was what my objective was when I first went to school. So how did you switch to law? Well, what happened was that uh, when I went to college, I had majored in sociology and with the intention of becoming a social studies teacher. But uh, one, one summer when I came home to work, uh, I uh, got a job at the Sears warehouse. And uh, working with me on the night shift were like uh, three other guys who had graduated from UH with teaching degrees. And uh, they couldn't find jobs because the DOE wasn't hiring uh, uh, that year. And so at that time, I, I realized that I probably wouldn't find a job in teaching either and needed to consider other career choices. So so at that point, uh, I wasn't interested in uh, becoming a social worker or pursuing graduate studies in sociology. So I said, well, maybe I'll apply to law school. So that's what I ended up doing. But what interested you about being a social studies teacher? Well, I had some great teachers growing up on Lanai. And so, you know, I think that, uh, you know, teaching uh, really seemed like something that would be very personally re satisfying and rewarding uh, to get involved with. And so uh, that was the reason why I wanted to get into it, uh, uh, basically because, you know, I had met people that I think had influenced my life in a very positive way. And I thought that uh, teaching was a good outlet for me to be able to try to do the same for other people. Thanks for tuning in. Stay tuned for more on Greater Good Radio. After hundreds of interviews and thousands of hours of research, we're excited to share with you our first book, The Greater Good, Life Lessons from Hawaii's Leaders, with a special forward from Mayor Mufi Hanneman. The Greater Good is a collection of personal stories and quotes from over 70 of the leaders we've interviewed. The Greater Good will make you laugh, make you cry, and will inspire you to live a greater good life. Available at bookstores statewide and at greatergoodbooks.com. Howdy sell his company to Akamai Technologies for $3 billion. Find out at greatergoodradio.com. Who donates 6% of sales to make more money? Find out at greatergoodradio.com. How do you get 100 stores and 100 million in sales in less than 10 years? Find out at greatergoodradio.com. Who raised $50,000 in a few weeks for the tsunami relief? Find out at greatergoodradio.com. And all while benefiting the community. GreaterGoodRadio.com You're listening to Greater Good Radio Hawaii. 
Please visit us online at greatergoodradio.com. Today's guest is Cobert Matsumoto, Chairman and CEO of Island Insurance Company Limited. Cobert is also an active member in the community with numerous fundraising efforts on behalf of several nonprofit entities. So could you continue telling us about um, how you made that transition into majoring or going into law, and what was your career or your focus from then after? Well, you know, when I, when I decided to go to law school, I had no idea what I was getting myself into because I never met a lawyer. I had never been in a courtroom. Uh, my only image of, uh, you know, practicing law was uh, having watched Perry Mason and the Defenders on television. And so uh, I just thought that, you know, well, lawyers, uh, you know, uh, they don't have to work hard and they make a lot of money. And, uh, you know, after getting out of law school, I found out that uh, I was wrong on both accounts, that, uh, you know, uh, young lawyers had to work really hard, and they didn't make as much money as I thought that they made. Uh, but uh, I came back to Hawaii after uh, going to law school uh, on the mainland and uh, opened up my own office and kind of struggled for a couple of years until I was able to get a job with a law firm. And then I uh, basically pursued a, the practice of law with a firm for about 15 years before uh, I formed my own law firm. So do you miss it? you miss law? Uh, actually, uh, no. Uh, I'm, I'm really enjoying what I'm doing now, and uh, you know, I think that uh, you know the law, uh, you know, was very good when I was in it, uh, and I enjoyed it. I think in the, more in the latter part of my career as opposed to the earlier part of my career. But what I do miss about the law is the camaraderie that uh, you develop uh, practicing law, because uh, you know there's a certain camaraderie that uh, I think exists with the members of the bar here in Hawaii. You mean the attorneys have camaraderie? Right. <laughs> They're able to uh, develop that also, and particularly the lawyers that practice in the personal injury bar. And so they tend to run into each other a lot at the courthouse or in depositions or uh, in different settings. And even though you may uh, frequently be on opposite sides, uh, you start to get to know each other and you know, become uh, you know, friends. And so I think that I miss that part of the practice. So it seems that there's a number of attorneys that were successful attorneys in town that moved into larger corporations. Mitch Dolier is one, you're another. What advice can you give maybe other attorneys out there that may be looking to make the switch also? Well, you know, the opportunities to do that uh, don't come along all the time. And so I was really lucky that I was offered that opportunity. And, uh, you know, I would say, you know, if you get that opportunity, take it because, you know, I think that uh, it's an exciting uh, opportunity to be on the other side of the table. And uh, uh, what is also very uh, enjoyable and satisfying about the work that I do now is that it allows you to be a lot more creative. Uh, I think that uh, you're able to, you know, use your uh, skills in a very different way than as a lawyer. Because as a lawyer, you know, your job is basically you're a service provider. And so you're expected to perform a certain function uh, for clients. And, uh, you know, when you're the client, uh, you're able to basically decide what it is that you want to have done. And so it gives you the opportunity to exercise some creativity. So what was the opportunity that arose for you to be able to make that move? Well, for me, uh, you know, Island Insurance was a client of mine for almost 20 years. And so I had uh, established a long relationship with uh, the company. And to a certain extent, I guess I was a known quantity. And the company, uh, when I joined it, uh, was, uh, was struggling with succession planning. Um, like many other companies today, uh, you know, a lot of older companies have had very stable management for many years. But then 
you know, a lot of times uh, they haven't done a good job in terms of grooming succession. Is that so, because it's a family business? Uh, no, uh, you know, it's not necessarily because it's a family business. But sometimes, you know, the years pass so quickly that you forget uh, how old everybody's getting. And uh, by the time you turn around and look for, you know, well, you know, who's next in line, uh, you may not have really uh, planted the right seeds. So how was the transition for you? Well, it was tough. Uh, you know, there was a lot to learn. I'm still learning a lot about, uh, you know, the industry and about my job. But, you know, I think that uh, it's something that I enjoyed doing because it was a lot about learning, and I enjoy learning. And so uh, I spent a lot of time uh, reading, meeting people, getting advice from people, you know, making mistakes and trying to learn from my mistakes. And so it was a very uh, enjoyable experience uh, making that transition. And fortunately, you know, things have uh, worked out uh, for the most part. You know, being that you said or mentioned that you grew up in Lanai, some people feel that Hawaii people don't have very good communication skills because of our pidgin language or just the broken English that we speak. Well, what's your feeling on that? Because like you said, you know, your job is to communicate with people. I think that, uh, you know, that's a, a real, uh, you know, a red herring in terms of, you know, I mean, a lot of people say that the people in Hawaii uh are not good, they're not articulate, they're not very good communicators. But I actually think that people in Hawaii are, are better communicators than a lot of people in the mainland. Uh, because I think that uh, people in Hawaii tend to be a lot better at nonverbal communication. Uh, they're able to read nonverbal signals much better than I think people from other cultures are able to. And so as a consequence, I think that that serves you very well because uh, you know local people tend to uh, listen better they observe, uh, they pay attention to, you know, uh, more than just what's being said. And as a consequence, I think that because they do that, they're much better communicators because they're, they're really understanding the context and not just, uh, you know, what is being articulated. Thanks for tuning in. Stay tuned for more on Greater Good Radio. After hundreds of interviews and thousands of hours of research, we're excited to share with you our first book, The Greater Good, Life Lessons from Hawaii's Leaders, with a special forward from Mayor Mufi Hanneman. The Greater Good is a collection of personal stories and quotes from over 70 of the leaders we've interviewed. The Greater Good will make you laugh, make you cry, and will inspire you to live a greater good life. Available at bookstores statewide and at greatergoodbooks.com. Is the greatest part of your workday the leftover lasagna you packed for lunch? Is it quickly becoming apparent that you and everyone you know are smarter than your boss? Just how satisfying is it to wear an untucked shirt on Fridays? It's time you stopped filling a position and started being fulfilled with a job that excites you every day, not just payday. And now is the perfect time to demand more of the work week. The Honolulu Star Bulletin and Midweek Work with Monsters so you can live up to your potential right here. Your calling is calling. Find it at starclassifieds.monster.com. We're back with Colbert Matsumoto. So, Colbert, I know that you're involved with the Star Bulletin, you're involved with Aloha Airlines. You know, how did these things come about, and why did you decide to get involved with these companies? Well, a lot of it stems from uh, you know, our, our, our company's history. Uh, you know, our company is a locally owned uh, company uh, that has basically grown and succeeded over the years through a customer base and a support base uh, built around local businesses. And so, you know, the local businesses are very important to us in terms of our, our own history, our own success, and uh, what our future is going to be. And uh, 
you know, there's been a lot of changes that have occurred in our local business community over the years in terms of, uh, you know, uh, local businesses basically uh, being sold and acquired by other uh, national companies that uh, don't have as close a connection to our community. And, uh, you know, an institution like the newspaper is a very important institution for uh, both the community at large as well as for the business community. And uh, we uh, had a lot of uh, regard for David Black, who uh, is the principal owner of the Star Bulletin, uh, for the commitment that he made to uh, supporting our local newspaper industry. Because what the newspaper does is not just convey news, but it also provides uh, an advertising vehicle for businesses. And uh, to have a competitive marketplace is very important for uh, local businesses because it gives them access to uh, more competitive rates. So... Your involvement with the newspaper, was it primarily because you wanted to maintain local ownership? Well, definitely. I think that, uh, you know, having local ownership uh, of media is very important because I think that, uh, you know, uh, you can't help but have some impact on, you know, the character of the the organization by having uh, local input and local management. So how do these things come about, though? I mean, when you look at the... You know, your involvement with Star Bulletin, there's a number of people that kind of got together in Hawaii. We call that a hui. You know, how did these things come about? One person just talks to another, and, and, and it, Pretty that's much just so. how it happens? Pretty much so. Uh, in that case, you know, one of the other uh, investors uh, called it to our attention and said that, you know, hey, uh, you know, uh, David Black's looking for investors, local investors. He wants to put together this group. And so we said, hey, we're interested in talking. Um, we listened to uh, what he had to say and uh, felt that you know it was something worthwhile for us to get involved with. And then, how are you determining which people that you want to go into these type of groups with? Well, you know, I think like uh, with uh, any business undertaking, you know, you want to uh, understand well, what is the philosophy of the people uh, behind the business, uh, what are their objectives, uh, and make sure that you know your own objectives and philosophy and values are aligned with that. Um, and then, you know, also want to make sure that from a character standpoint, these are people that you can, uh, you know, count on in terms of, you know, making the right choices uh, uh, as the business uh, progresses. And so uh, those are the kinds of considerations that I think we try to take into account in making our decisions. And so do you consider mostly the people and the relationship or the idea behind what they're trying to do? I would say that, you know, I mean, the idea is always really important, but, uh, you know, I think that uh, we probably give as much weight, if not more weight, to the people because, uh, you know, ultimately, you know, a good idea is only as good as the people behind it. And so the character of the individuals behind any deal or any uh, venture is uh, really uh, very important. And would you be able to give us some tips of, for you personally, how would you get a feel of someone's character how they are as a person, you know, rather than just what they present at, say, a meeting? Because, you know, everyone's putting on their best face when they're meeting. Well, you know, I think that uh, that goes back to, you know, what I indicated about, uh, you know, local people being much more attuned to non- nonverbal signals. Yeah, I think that a lot of it has to do with that, uh, you know, uh, a person's body language, about how they, you know, articulate things, uh, you know, how they react to certain situations. Um, you know, you want to, you know, uh, try to get to know your partners as, as best as possible. Yeah? And so there are a lot of different ways people do that, uh, you know, in terms of how they interact with them. Uh, but you also want to, you know, rely on references. And so, you know, fortunately, we live in a pretty small community where 
you're able to ask people, you know, I mean, you know, oh, so what's the deal on so-and-so, you know, and what, what was the experience somebody had with somebody else uh, in working with them? And so I think that, uh, uh, you know, you want to use as many different sources of information as possible to, you know, get a, a fuller picture of people that you do business with. Thanks for tuning in. Stay tuned for more on Greater Good Radio. After hundreds of interviews and thousands of hours of research, we're excited to share with you our first book, The Greater Good, Life Lessons from Hawaii's Leaders, with a special forward from Mayor Mufi Hanneman. The Greater Good is a collection of personal stories and quotes from over 70 of the leaders we've interviewed. The Greater Good will make you laugh, make you cry, and will inspire you to live a greater good life. Available at bookstores statewide and at greatergoodbooks.com. Staying cool on Hawaiian time. Neptunites, the sunshine in your mouth. Neptunites. For bubble tea supplies in your home, at a party or business, contact Bubble Tea Supply at 948-2622 or online at bubbletea.com. Neptunites, the sunshine in your mouth. How do you sell his company to Akamai Technologies for $3 billion? Find out at greatergoodradio.com. Who donates 6% of sales to make more money? Find out at greatergoodradio.com. How do you get 100 stores and 100 million in sales in less than 10 years? Find out at greatergoodradio.com. Who raised $50,000 in a few weeks for the tsunami relief? Find out at greatergoodradio.com. And all while benefiting the community. GreaterGoodRadio.com You're listening to Greater Good Radio Hawaii. Please visit us online at GreaterGoodRadio.com. Today's guest is Cobra Matsumoto, Chairman and CEO of Island Insurance Company Limited. In 2004, Cobert received the Japanese American Citizens League Outstanding Community Service Award for his leadership in connection with the $9 million campaign to save the Japanese Culture Center of Hawaii from foreclosure. So, Colbert, can we talk about the Japanese Cultural Center then? What's the circumstances around that and, and what happened? Well, uh, you know, I've been a, a member of the Japanese Cultural Center for uh, 10, 15 years, but uh, uh, I joined the board back in 2002, and it was right about when uh, the announcement was made that uh, the center was going to be put up for sale. And I was actually quite surprised uh, at the time when uh, you know, it was announced because when I agreed to join the board, uh, nobody told me that, that it was about to be sold. <laughs> so it was quite a shock to me. And, it was distressed. Uh, Is that what happened? Right. There was, uh, the, the organization was having severe financial difficulty because uh, it had a, a large debt. Uh, it, wasn't, it didn't uh, generate enough cash flow to cover the debt. And uh, it was just caught in a very difficult financial circumstance. And so um, back then, uh, what happened was that there was a, a committee of uh, supporters of the center that uh, really uh, felt that an effort, a last-ditch effort, had to be made to try to raise the money necessary to clear the debt to save the center. And, uh, uh, of course, there were many efforts that had been made prior to that, but, uh, you know, I, I agreed with this group that, you know, that was important, and so I joined uh, them. And... Uh, together, we formed this committee to save the center and launched this uh, public campaign to raise the money. It was, uh, you know, very uh, a remarkable experience to be involved with because at the time that uh, we initiated it, uh, I thought to myself, you know, well, the probability of us succeeding was very low, 
And uh, you know, the uh, the thing for me was that they, uh, most of the people I was uh, serving with on that committee were uh, in their 70s and 80s. And so they turned to me and they said, you know, Cobra, you're the youngest guy, so you're, you're, you be the chairman, you know. And so I thought, okay, great. You know what I mean? I'm going to be the chairman of this campaign that, you know, is probably not going to succeed. And I'm going to have to, at some point, you know, apologize to all the people that uh, are connected with the, the cultural center and say, you know, sorry we couldn't do it, you know. And so uh, it was pretty daunting. Uh, but, you know, we were able to uh, make it, and uh, it was a, a really remarkable experience uh, for me to be involved with. And I know that uh, for me, I'm going to, you know, count that as uh, one of the highlights in terms of my life because uh, the community response was just awesome. Uh, it really uh, made me uh, feel good about uh, having decided to come back to live in Hawaii because that was why I came back to Hawaii. I felt that there was this kind of community spirit that uh, could coalesce around things that, uh, you know, uh, we as a community felt were important. And so I thought that that was really demonstrated in connection with that uh, whole Save the Center effort. How long did it take to to get the center out of debt? Well, we you know we launched our campaign uh, in October of uh, that year, and uh, by December thirty first, uh, we had raised enough money to stave off uh, a foreclosure and satisfy the banks. Um, it took us a few months after that to raise the total nine million dollars, but we had raised about six million by December of that year. So, in you know uh, about two and a half months. So what does that mean to you, though? You know, what, what significance does that have in, in your life? Well, you know, I guess uh, it taught me some things. Uh, I think that it was important for me because it taught me that, you know, I mean, uh, sometimes uh, the things that you think are futile aren't really futile, yeah, uh, that it's worth making the effort. And that uh, if you can organize uh, and if you get the right people involved in organizing something, uh, you can accomplish some great things. And so, you know, I think that uh, it, it demonstrates the power of organization. It demonstrates the power of grassroots efforts because this was a grassroots effort. This wasn't something that was led by, uh, you know, corporate leaders. Uh, it was really uh, a grassroots effort, and the, and the con contributors that enabled the campaign to become successful were basically individuals, thousands of individuals who sent in checks. Um, it was really uh, uh, amazing because... You know, after Thanksgiving, by the time Thanksgiving had come along, we had raised about a million dollars. And I thought to myself, at this pace, we're not going to be able to make it. But for some reason, after Thanksgiving, the flow of checks just came in. Uh, you know, I mean, in, I mean, it was just literally by the hundreds every day. And we had uh, a couple of volunteers that were registering all the checks that we were receiving. And they said that they were overwhelmed. They couldn't keep up with the number of uh, checks they had to process. And so... Uh, it was a really uh, uh, heartwarming experience to, to be involved with. And, of course, you know, it only came about because uh, we had so much support. Uh, the newspapers were really good, the uh, TV stations. I mean, uh, there were so many organizations that, uh, you know, lent their support in terms of publicizing what the effort was about. And as a result, uh, you know, we were able to get our message out in a way that uh, uh, struck a chord with people. And was the uh, um, publicity or the coverage of the cause publicized more after Thanksgiving? Do you think that's what made such a difference in regards to when people donated? No, I think that, uh, you know, when the announcement uh, came that, uh, you know, the center was going to be sold, uh, you know, uh, there was a lot of publicity then. Yeah? And so uh, what we did was that we tried to, you know, continue to generate ongoing publicity. And so that helped keep, uh, you know, I guess, 
uh, what we were doing in the news. And as we started to announce, you know, our, our reaching different uh, benchmarks, uh, you know, it continued to keep the story alive. And so I think that uh, uh, it was, you know, having some people on board that understood the uh, media and uh, how to, you know, make sure that we, we could keep our story uh, active and uh, fresh uh, that uh, really helped. Thanks for joining us today on Greater Good Radio. For more information or a transcript of today's show, please visit us online at greatergoodradio.com. This is your host, Evan Leong and Carrie Leong, saying please join us next time for another episode of Greater Good Radio, Hawaii.